Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Hey friends, Elisa Childers here. Many of you may be familiar with MOPS, a Christian ministry for moms with young preschool kids that meets in small groups and churches in over 60 countries all over the world. But what do they believe theologically? Today, we're going to talk with a special guest who's done a bunch of research, and we're going to tackle the question, is MOPS going progressive? My guest today is Krista Bontrager, and she is a fourth-generation minister. She's a theologian, a lay minister, author, teacher, former university professor, and homeschool mom. So she earned her master's in theology and another master's in Bible exposition from Talbot School of Theology there in California. She's dedicated her life to helping others discover how to love God and walk in spirit and in truth. You can find everything she's working on from her website, her YouTube channel, and her podcast at theologymom.com. She's got a weekly show called All the Things. That's such a great title too. Krista, I love that. All the things. And uh, her her co-host, Monique, uh, I'm going to say this wrong, so you have to correct me, but Dusan, is that right? Yes. Dusan. Uh, they discuss all kinds of relevant issues from a historical Christian perspective. And I just want to say one thing I love about Krista is she's such a careful thinker, uh, a clear thinker. She's very slow to uh, to overly criticize. She's very she, she really holds herself in to make sure that what she's addressing are the actions ideas. And I just love that you're just a very fair person, Krista. I think that's what I think of when I think about you is you, you, you have a love for people, but a love for truth. And so when those two things intersect, it's got a really great balance. So I'm really glad to have you on the show today. So last year we were at the Women in Apologetics conference at Biola together. Your talk was, was the talk that just everybody, the buzz of the conference was your talk. It was so good. And so you're going to be there again this year. I won't be there this year. I'm so bummed. Uh, Originally, I was asked to go do another conference before I had been asked to do the Women in Apologetics. 
that one actually fell through. So I'm not speaking at any conference that weekend, but I know that you guys are going to have a great time and I will be with you in spirit. And so just before we get into our main topic for, for this podcast, tell us a little bit about Women in Apologetics. What's it about? You're on the board for, for Women in Apologetics. Tell us what it's about. What's its mission? Well, really what we're about is we're a bunch of what I call lady apologists. We're <laughs> a network of women who are all share the common interest in defending our faith and giving reasons for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And some of us are coming out of Biola, some of us uh, from New Orleans Baptist, uh, Southern Evangelical Seminary, where, where you've been. And there's, there's just a, a wonderful camaraderie among all of us. And mm. some of them are have published books and are bigger names, and then others are up and coming. But the Women in Apologetics Conference really is about equipping women and helping women get on board or provide them with an on-ramp into the realm of apologetics. Because sometimes it can honestly be intimidating to go to a large apologetics conference, and it's maybe 80, 85% men. And I've been in this realm for 25 years and um, it's not common historically to see a woman on a stage as a, as a yeah. keynote speaker. And that's changing. And people like you and our friend, Melissa Kane Travis and Mary Jo Sharp and others are changing that. But, you know, we wanted to provide a platform for up and coming women apologists to also be able to speak and hone their skills and their craft. And so sponsoring the conference is a way that we do that. Yeah. And, and our friend Hillary Ferrer of Mama Bear Apologetics mentioned once that one thing she learned when she was beginning to work on the Mama Bear book was that a lot of women, when they were surveyed, when they were asked, they would rather learn from other women, which she found surprising. I found that a little bit surprising, but I can see why this is so needed, even just from that perspective that often women will trust another woman more or it'd be easier to receive from another woman. But why do you think that uh, the church needs women to be doing apologetics in the first place? I think that's a great question. Um, I, I guess the place I would start is that both men and women are created in the image of God. And mm. part of what that means is that God has given us a mind. He has given us the ability, the capacity, and the curiosity to explore the world, to explore our faith. But I think that women also bring a unique voice to the realm of apologetics. Sometimes things hit us at home with our kids mm. first. And we become interested in different kinds of questions to defend the faith because often our kids come to their moms first mm. with their questions about their faith. And what I've noticed is that women tend to sort of be in discussions about different kinds of questions than the typical, let me give you the five arguments for the existence of God or right. that sort of thing. And that's not to say that kids don't ask those questions too, but there, there, there tends to be just different interests. And so I think that just as Adam and Eve were sent out by the Lord to co-rule and reign the creation together, so also having that 
voice of both women and men provides just a very balanced approach to our faith. And so I want to make a space for all of these voices, if they're speaking truth, if they're defending the faith, if they're working toward preserving the historic Christian faith, let's get as many people on board as possible as we make that push with the Great Commission. Yeah. And so tell us about the conference. It's coming up January 24th and 25th. Tell us a little bit about it. And if somebody can't be there in person, what options do they have? Yeah. And it will be held at Biola University, which is here in Southern California, where I'm at. And uh, it's a Friday night and um, most of Saturday experience. And there it will be in person. You can come to Biola University. You can attend keynote sessions. We even have a worship time. And you've done the worship time in the past. We're going to miss you this year. I know, me too. (laughs) But we have a wonderful uh, person who's going to be leading the worship this year. And there's also breakout sessions. And in addition to all of that, our friend Rachel Shockey is going to be doing her traveling art exhibit uh, of kind of blending art with, with apologetics. And we have a kids program, which is amazing because instead of just having childcare, kids can, moms can bring the kids and actually they get training too. So, Mm. and I want to emphasize that it's not just a women's conference. Men are invited. We're not excluding them. The, the, the name women apologists, apologetics just means that all of the speakers will be women, but Mm -hmm. men are definitely invited. And if people can't join in person, there's going to be a live stream available. I'm just encouraging people like have some friends over to the house, create an event and um, enjoy the live stream together and enjoy some, uh, you know, maybe make a lunch together, have a potluck and over the lunch break, enjoy some great conversation and discussion about these issues. Maybe you can, some of your listeners can help onboard some women uh, and friends um, into apologetics through the live stream. Yeah, that's great. And one of my favorite things, if not my favorite thing about the Women in Apologetics Conference is what you mentioned about the childcare. This is not just childcare. You're not just bringing your kids and dropping them off so that they can play games and, uh, you know, have childcare while you go to the conference. There is a very comprehensive and uh, engaging children's program where they're learning apologetics while you're learning apologetics. And I honestly wish that every apologetics conference would implement this because I think one of the main reasons a lot of women have a hard time getting to a a typical apologetics conference is that A, they don't have childcare at all. And B, you know, you want to feel like when you're dropping your kids off, they're going to be learning too. And I just think that is so fantastic that, that women in apologetics does that. But we're here today to talk about mops. Now, this is just to give a little bit of background of why we're even talking about this. Gosh, I think it was about a year ago, uh, a listener of my podcast emailed me and said, hey, I'm a part of MOPS, which is uh, Mothers of Preschoolers. Many people will know that acronym. Uh, There are cells of MOPS in churches all over the place. And she said, I'm really concerned about some of the things that I've been hearing. Can you look into it? 
And so, you know, I'll get emails like that a lot. And generally, you know, I can't just start looking into everything because I've, I've got to stay focused on progressive Christianity and, and what I'm working on with my book and all of this. But she, she kind of persisted a little bit in a good way. She, she kept coming back. And then I began to realize, well, it really sounds like if she's right, it almost sounds like Mops might be adopting some progressive Christian theology. So that's what got my interest in it. And then I started to receive some communications from other listeners who were saying similar things that they're, then I started looking at comments on Facebook, people saying, yeah, my mops thing went off the rails and, and we had to leave or my church ended up canceling mops. And so then at that point I was really interested, but I still didn't have the time to do the research because as I tried to look into it, it was just really difficult to find resources. It was, and it just seemed like this was going to be a really deep dive that I didn't have time to do. So I, w- I began praying, Lord, please, you know, let there be somebody that will get a passion for this to, to look into it and to find out what's going on. And so I was so thrilled to learn that you had kind of gotten this passion to look into it. And I think, you know, you've got a story behind how you got involved with it as well. Yeah. Uh, but let's just start with, for anyone who might be unfamiliar with MOPS, what is MOPS? Well, like you said, it is an acronym that stands for Mothers of Preschoolers, and it actually began in the early 70s. A small group of women who had young children wanted to come together and share their lives and and get together and invite other women into that fellowship, and they just saw it as a need that needed to be filled. Um, as you and I both know, sometimes being in that journey of of motherhood, when our children are small, it can be very isolating. Mm. And we feel like, um, is, is this going to be my life from now on? You know, right. that all I'm doing is trying to survive my sleep deprived existence mm. and changing diapers and, and wondering what has, what does the future hold for me? Well, that is the very group of people that MOPS wants to target. And they partner with churches to kind of set up chapters all over the world to encourage moms of young children uh, to kind of grow deeper in their faith. And historically, it has been largely an, a, a ministry of outreach to women who have either been de-churched, they left the church they at some point in their lives, and maybe they're, this is a pathway to getting re-engaged in their faith or to women who are unchurched. They, they just haven't grown up in that environment. And this is a kind of an on-ramp into exploring the church life and Christianity in general. Right. Well, good. Okay, so with that background, what, what's your story about starting to look into MOPS? What caused you to, to become curious about what they were teaching as of late? Yeah, and I, I have a feeling that it's the same person who reached <laughs> out to you. Um, she was quietly very persistent with me. She was also following my teaching and ministry. And um, she would periodically send me messages on Facebook and asking me to look into it. And I kind of just have a standing policy that I don't look into everything that people send me. I, I work full time. I have a family. I just I can't look into everything but this caught my attention because she was so quietly and respectfully persistent yeah. about it. And so she recommended that I talk to another gal 
And I said, okay, I will have, I promised her one phone conversation. (laughs) And so I called a gal who had similar concerns and we had a conversation on the phone and this gal was, was very informed. Her name was Sarah Wilkins and she, um, was, had really thought about this and was really informed. And, um, I was extremely hesitant in the beginning because I don't want to be known as some sort of heresy hunter. Right. I'm not a discernment blog. <laughs> I, I'm really a, just a professional theologian trying to live my life. Right. And <laughs> right. So I, I'm always very hesitant about these sorts of inquiries of, can you look into, you know, whether this is heretical. But when I talked to Sarah on the phone back in June, I said, why don't you come on our show, all the things that you mentioned earlier. And I thought I would interview her and just hear some of her heart and story about MOPS. And she had been a longtime MOPS leader and she had started noticing some shifts. And what really struck me about Sarah when we interviewed her is I thought this woman is not an alarmist. Mm She's well-researched. She's thoughtful. So I made a promise to her off the air that I would continue the journey and that I would start looking into it and really prayed about it and asked the Lord, is this for me? And was somewhat reluctant. Uh, I was the reluctant person to to do this. (laughs) But I really felt strong. The Lord wanted me to look into it. And so um, I began to read through um, Mandy Ariotto's books. Uh, she is the current president and CEO of MOPS. And I started looking through their website. I started, I had another um, source send me a lot of materials. They're, they're group studies or kind of, they're more like discussion guides. And I reviewed a number of those and I started posting videos on YouTube about it, reviewing these materials and trying to investigate and collate um, what I was finding and looking for, is this, are they drifting into progressive theology or aren't they? Mm-hmm. That was really the big question in my mind. And you can find, for, for anyone who's listening and wondering where to find those videos, you can go to theologymom.com where she's got some YouTube videos documenting some of uh, where Krista has documented her research there. So if you want more than what you're going to get just in this, you know, hour or so with us, uh, definitely go to theologymom.com and take a look at some of that stuff. So Krista, as you began looking into MOPS, um, what did you find? You know, what did you learn about what they're teaching regarding the gospel and about Christian life and about Jesus? And um, just, yeah, what, what did you discover? Well, first and foremost, what I found was an organization that has historically, it is, it is a great and important ministry. I think bringing the gospel to a group of women that sometimes feel like they've been forgotten. Hmm. Like I said before, young motherhood can be a very difficult and isolating time and season of, of life. And Creating a space for mothers of young children to come together for fellowship and connection and getting introduced to the gospel or reintroduced to church life, creating a support system. I think these are incredibly noble goals. Mm. And and I thought, wow, this is this is a great ministry. Now I am an outsider. I've never belonged to a MOPS group. I did 
uh, attend a similar type of ministry at my church, but it was just my church. It wasn't formally part of MOPS. And so I'm coming at this largely as an outsider um, in looking at these things. I don't have any vested interest one way or the other of of trashing mops or defending mops. I'm just simply trying to look at the materials through the lens of the historic Christian faith. So I think, you know, it, it's, it has such ministry potential and historically has been uh, played a, a wonderful role in many, many women's lives to bring them closer to the cross or mm. to help them in their conversion or to bring them back into the church. But the second thing I noticed is that there did seem to be some validity to the concerns raised by these women, that there were some shifts happening in the messaging of MOPS, particularly starting in 2016. Well, and that's such a great point about that time of life being so isolating. I remember it so well. In fact, when my kids were real small, that's when I was going through my deep time of doubt and even deconstruction, and I was completely alone. I felt completely isolated. I was very vulnerable in a lot of different ways. And so I think that's a vulnerable time for women uh, because you're just exhausted, first of all, all, you're exhausted. Um, you're sleep deprived all the time. time. You're sleep deprived. You know, there's just all kinds of stuff going on, all this emotional upheaval of being a new mom, all the hormones involved with being a new mom. I mean, I experienced so much of that. And so that's such a great point that it's really a vulnerable time for women uh, as well. And, And you mentioned that there was a bit of a shift that happened in 2016. So talk a little more about what, what that shift was about, what do you think was causing it, and, and, and what you observed about the kind of new branding or new messaging that you saw in MOPS. Yeah, and um, in 2016 is the time when, kind of mid-year, when Mandy Arioto became the president and CEO of MOPS. And that's really where the, the season when a lot of these changes in branding and look and messaging started to be implemented. And I do want to make very clear at this point that the statement of faith and the ministry's core values um, haven't changed. Um, As I was talking to my sources who had been involved in MOPS for years and years, they were able to verify that these things were not changed. So Mm. you go on the MOPS website, you're going to see the same statement of faith that you've always seen. Mm. You're going to see the same leadership agreement that leaders have always seen. And so the very um, public face, biblically solid in that public face, um, the changes were mostly implemented kind of behind the scenes in the materials mm. that were distributed. So that can and be that material- can be very confusing because somebody goes on the website, they see a solid statement of faith. And then that can make you let your guard down. And then when you start reading some of the training materials, so, so it sounds like, you know, on the face of it, the doc, the, all of that stayed the same, but the shifts that you were noticing were more in the, on the training level and on the, the yes. more grassroots level, possibly. Yes, very much so. And uh, just like one quick example is that prior to Mandy Arioto coming in, uh, MOPS leaders were encouraged and trained to do 
a fairly traditional standard gospel presentation as part of their routine. So they might have a special Christmas event at their church with their group, and they would do a fairly straightforward, you know, cross, sin, repentance, forgiveness, Mm -hmm. salvation type of message. Uh, They might do it at Easter time or something. A couple times a year, they'd have a special event. It was fairly, fairly typical. However, when Arioto came in, uh, what I noticed right away was that even the gospel presentations, the wording started to shift. And this is originally kind of one of the big red flags that alerted a number of MOPS leaders like, wait, what's happening here? This is not how we have typically talked about these things in the past. And what what is what's happening here? Are they drifting into progressive Christianity? And some of those gals got that wording from you by listening to your podcast. Mm. They were starting to recognize, oh, is that is that this? Mm. Is that what's happening here? Yeah. Well, that's exciting to hear that, you know, as I as I do my work and stuff, it can be discouraging at times. So it's always encouraging to know that you know, maybe they're, they're, God has used it somehow to help people to identify the ideas of progressive Christianity wherever they are. Um, so, so when you're talking about a shift in messaging, a, a bit of a tweaking of the gospel presentation and the way that that is, uh, is delivered, uh, can you give us a couple of examples? Because uh, I know when I first kind of just looked on the broad surface of it, it was very hard to even find a gospel presentation uh, even in uh, the that first girl we talked about had sent me several screenshots and, and things of books and things. And I just couldn't, I was like, I, I don't even find a gospel presentation in here. So I don't know if you had a difficult time finding information, but, but you know, can you, can you give us a couple of concrete examples of, of that change of messaging? Yeah, I think that I shared a lot of um, your observations about some of the ambiguity of the terminology what I saw in Arioto's writings and the, the videos that are publicly available and the resources publicly available through MOPS, um, there's kind of a general lack of the traditional terminology surrounding the gospel. You don't read really words like sin or repentance or even much about the cross. I mean, there's a few mentions here and there about it, but not mm-hmm. a much of a discussion of what it means and the importance of it. Um we don't, there's not really clear explanations about our need for God's forgiveness or our violations of the law or that God is holy and we are not. Um, the theme of personal holiness as a response to our salvation is also almost completely missing. Um, one video that I saw, and, and I, I, I have been sort of acting in a bit both in a capacity as a theologian, but a little bit also as an investigative reporter, because I'm trying to figure out what they actually believe. One of my sources sent me a video that was only for leaders. And um, so it's not publicly available. And I've been in that struggle of how do I comment on this? Because there is a public face of MOPS. And then there's some things that seem to be going on in the messaging for leaders. Mm. But this was a, a, a video that was available to leaders and Mandy Arioto is talking directly to the leaders on sort of a teleconference call. 
And there's one section where she defines the gospel or the good news, as she calls it. And it her definition, in my opinion, is, is rather vague. Um, here's kind of how she frames it on the mm. call. She talks about how families are looking for something. But here's the thing. People are so interested in finding hope. They have no idea what the good news is. And they haven't found it among the followers of Jesus until now. We are people who are reclaiming the good news, who are walking out on the way, the one we follow, a man named Jesus, to bring good news to hurting people. Eight million people are leaving the church every year. I don't know where she gets that number. Um, So we are taking serious responsibility for the fact that we need to be people bearing good news, reclaiming the good news. And what is the good news? And I'm thinking, okay, this is good. She's going to tell me a definition now. Good news is friends when you are lonely. It is food when you are hungry. Mm. It is kindness with no strings attached. It is food when your baby is sick. Good news is Jesus. And it is the embarrassingly extravagant love of God. Hmm. So when I, when I heard that, I thought, wow, there, there's so much to unpack there because there's this idea that somehow the gospel has been lost in the church and now Mops <laughs> is engaged in a project of helping us to recover that good news. And that what the good news is, is basically what I call the second greatest commandment. It's how do we love our neighbor? And I would argue that that's not the right hmm. definition of the gospel. The gospel is about the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, according to 1 Corinthians 15. It's something that God does as an action to us. The Father has made a way for us as sinful humans to be in a covenant relationship with him. That's Mm. the gospel. The law of loving God and loving our neighbor is something different. That's how we express our relationship Mm. with God, that now we have come into a right relationship with the Father through the gospel. This is how 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 we live that out. And there's this general confusion in many of Mm Mop's materials where the second commandment, second greatest commandment of Mm -hmm. loving our neighbors is almost put forward as the gospel. And so there's this confusion of of categories that I see Mm -hmm. pretty pervasive in a lot of their materials. We'll be back in just a moment to continue our discussion with Krista Bontrager about mops. Are they heading in a progressive direction theologically? Well, you may not have preschoolers anymore, but if you're a Christian parent and your kids are getting more toward the middle school, high school age, I want to tell you about Impact 360, a ministry I partner with that's dedicated to helping disciple our kids. So at at Impact 360 Immersion, which is a two-week summer experience, high school students learn from some of the best 
best minds in biblical worldview and apologetics, people like Sean McDowell, Jonathan Morrow, Brett Kunkel, they learn to put that experience into practice and they they use the tools they're learning through hands-on off-campuses experiences. So immersion is for students who want to learn how to live out their faith for themselves and not just because of their parents or their church or their friends. So learn more at impact360.org slash immersion and maybe consider sending your high schooler to this awesome experience this summer. Well, yesterday, Krista, I sent you a a video that was a talk from the MomCon conference in 2018. And the MomCon conference is, of course, the conference that MOPS puts on every year. And I think you had a chance to listen as well. And what you're saying right now, in my mind, is completely consistent with the talk that I heard from Sarah Bessie. Now, if anyone's not familiar with Sarah Bessie, I have a couple of podcasts that I recorded with Amy Hall about uh, her story of becoming LGBT affirming. So you can look back in the archives about that. But Sarah Bessie is a very well-known leader in the progressive Christian movement. She is one of the founders of the Evolving Faith Conference, which is a progressive conference that invites people of all stripes and all creeds to come and sort of, well, just like it sounds like, evolve in their faith. And and there's all kinds of uh, talks and breakout sessions and things regarding uh, becoming more progressive in your faith. And so in in this talk by Sarah Bessie, that really kind of was the message. It, it, she, If I could sum up the talk that I heard, it was really like, you're fine and God loves you and let's just be unified at all costs. That's kind of how I would sum up the talk and like the thesis of it. And so she begins by listing a lot of different categories. And this is where you mentioned confusion of categories. I noticed that in this talk as well. She mentioned what, you know, who you are and what you might believe and what you might do in your life, or you're a mom, you're not a mom. And she lists all these things and basically is making the point that God loves you no matter who you are, what you're doing, or what you believe. And, and, you know, on a certain level, yes, I agree, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Of course, God loves you. Yes, of course. Um, but, but there was this really emotional delivery, and I was a little surprised by that because I hadn't ever heard, I'd read things by Sarah Bessie, but I'd never heard her speak in a public context before. And it was very, very emotional. You know, you have the starting out with the very, the whisper and then, uh, you know, dramatically going into almost like a shout and then back down to a whisper and, you know, kind of that, and f- just as a style, some crying, some crying. Yeah. And just as a stylistic observation, you know, I, I don't really love those kind of talks because I feel like someone's trying to manipulate me when they're doing that. And not that I'm against someone getting excited about what they're talking about, but there's a difference between somebody saying something that they feel really passionate about. So the emotion matches that than what I, what it felt like was happening where they're creating the emotion first and then putting the words on it so that you will receive it in a more emotional way. And so um, I was a little bit put off by that. Um, But again, that's a style thing. Somebody can be doing that and still be telling the truth, or somebody can be completely monotone and be telling the truth, or or vice versa. Uh, But but that was the thing that, that really stood out to me, that the whole message was, God loves you, God loves you. But that's just the first part of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And then Jesus goes on. Of course, this is his famous talk with Nicodemus. And he goes on to talk about 
um, that, that he didn't come in the world to condemn the world, but then talks about those who don't believe are condemned already. So Jesus wasn't talking about this all-inclusive, like, you're fine. God, you know, God loves you, therefore you're all good. You don't have to worry about anything else. And then the confusion of categories being, basically she's saying you can believe wrong things about sexuality and God still loves you. You can believe wrong things about this. You can do this or do that. And then at the end, she kind of wraps it up with a prayer. And in the prayer, she prayed that women would be holy. I think she said holy outposts. It was holy something, but like sentinels or something like that. And that just struck me because so often in the progressive world, of course, following Nadia Boltz Weber in her book, Shameless, redefining the word holy to mean something like unity rather than what it actually means, which is God being completely separate from sin and evil and, and being in, in a sense where he can't have unity with sin. And, and uh, you know, to, to have that redefinition and then her praying that we would be holy outposts, but at the same time, it doesn't matter what you believe about sexuality and things like that. Then the prayer was, you know, let us be unified with each other, no matter what, that, that we would be okay to disagree on things, but still be unified. And when you have all those confusions of categories, I, I can see how that would be so confusing for women who maybe don't have a strong background in theology, who maybe haven't done a lot of study in apologetics to where, I mean, that sounds right. Uh, and again, those are just my observations of the talk, yeah. but that sounds in line with what you're saying their gospel presentations generally sound like. Yeah, I, I would say that it's highly confusing because there's a very consistent messaging in mops that God just loves us and he already accepts us. And then I'm left wondering, okay, if he loves us, then what response do I really need to have to that? And right. it is kind of this, they're only presenting what I might call the gospel part a, you know, mm -hmm. that, Yes, Jesus has a radically inclusive invitation mm. to come to him, to come into the kingdom of God. Jesus says, if you want to come, you're invited. The rich and the poor, the privileged and the powerless, and everybody in between. There is a radical invitation that is highly what our culture calls inclusive. Men and women, rich and poor, professional and lay, lay person, whosoever wants to come may believe. But when you come, when you believe, there is an, a, a requirement of repentance mm. that you understand when I'm coming, I'm turning away from my old life. I'm making Jesus the boss of my life. I'm turning away from my sin. And now I'm going to what to use a, a, a historic term to mortify the flesh. Mm -hmm. I'm going to turn away from my sin. So it feels like this very confusing gospel presentation of you're accepted just the way you are. God loves you. Let's all be unified. And I'm mm. left thinking consistently throughout the mops materials. That's actually not the whole gospel. That's one aspect of the gospel, but that seems to consistently be presented as the gospel. Mm. And so then there is 
much confusion because it's, well, God loves you. Now let's do nice things. Let's be in community. And let's almost talk about this. What I think is a second observation I've made is a pretty consistent messaging about the church. They're they're not doing things right. This is a very consistent message in MOPS materials that that the church isn't hospitable to outsiders. Uh, they don't make people feel accepted. They're super legalistic and they don't share the good news. And so then, depending on the leadership of MOPS, and this is an important point, that some people may not notice these shifts in their local MOPS chapters. It, a lot of it depends on the leadership involved. The leadership could kind of reframe the materials and supplement things and still be doing things in the traditional messaging. But if you go by just what's presented, um, it's, it, it would be very confusing because then many of these mops groups almost become their own subculture, their own sub church. And mm. we're going to do community the right way. And we're going to just accept everybody and let everybody be messy. And there's no, expectation of holiness and Mm. transformation and change that I can see. So Mm. these were a couple of the themes that that I noticed in in their materials. If you could summarize MOPS theology, if you could just sum it up with some major bullet points. Sure. So if somebody, you know, the takeaway for all of your research, if somebody were to just sum it up, what language would you give them to sum up MOPS theology? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say bullet point form is something like this. God accepts everyone. Jesus's death seems to be efficacious for everyone. You don't even really need to have an explicit belief mm. in, in his death as doing something for you. Um, his death really isn't explained anywhere. Mm. Like, why was he dying? What was he doing up on the cross? There doesn't seem to be a call to repentance or turning away from our sins. There isn't much of a conversation about sin in general. Mm. Um, Just come, be in community, be accepted just where you are. And then finally, this issue of love. Mm. The the word love is all over their materials. And I'm, I'm all for love, like Mm -hmm. love God, love my neighbor. That's, that's what I want to be up to as a Christian. But when love, we don't allow God to define love. Mm. See, See, that's part of what the law does. The mm. law fleshes out what love does, what love looks like. Love isn't just a feeling. It's not an intuition. When we look at the fruit of the spirit, that's like the new covenant aspect of the, of the law. It's telling us that what love looks like is it's patient. It's kind. It's faithful. Um, to use 1 Corinthians 13 language, it it rejoices in the truth. It doesn't rejoice in, in, in wrong. It, this is how God defines love and that we have to establish truth through two or three witnesses. We, we must regard one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the Bible puts some flesh and bones on what does it mean to love? We can't just look to our culture to tell us what love is. We have to let God define love. Mm. But love is consistently not defined in mm. in MOPS materials. It's just sort of assumed that it means accepting everyone just the way they are, 
end of story. And loving our neighbors seems to be put forth consistently as the gospel itself. So there's a lot of confusion over law and gospel. And that is very consistent in progressive Christianity as well. It's a very workspace gospel where if you because you know if you take sin and repentance out of the equation, if you take any meaningful definition of the cross out of the equation, you still need a cause. You still need something to unify around. You're still going to want something that you're all gung-ho about that that unifies you and, and makes you be in the same room together consistently in community. And I have found that consistently in progressive Christianity to be this idea of loving your neighbor, which can even morph into like a, a social justice kind of thing. And, and again, not that we're against loving your neighbor. We should love our neighbor. But as you mentioned, it's a fruit of, of walking in the spirit. It's a fruit of our uh, lives as Christians, as making Jesus Lord of our life, is that, that these good works will begin to come out of us. And historically, Christians have done uh, incredible good works throughout the world. Uh, but, but when you take that sin repentance element out of the gospel, well, then it's kind of natural for those kinds of things, loving your neighbor, doing good works, to become the gospel as a, as a positive thing to unify around. And that is very consistent in the progressive Christian church as well. So, so it does seem that that shift toward progress, at least we could say there is definitely a shift toward progressive Christian theology with at least what you've, you've told me here today. Yeah. But again, it's very subtle. And if you go yes. to the public face on the MOPS website, you're going to see the standard statement of faith. You're going to see the same agreement for their leaders that they've always had. So it, it, and they will point to that when, when yeah. people bring this up, they will just say, see, we're, we're still in line with the historic Christian faith because look at our doctrinal statement. Mm. But what I'm trying to point out is that there is some discontinuity between mm-hmm. the historic Christian faith and what is actually being presented in the materials and behind the, the subscription wall um, that the public doesn't see. And those are really difficult challenges to overcome while doing your research. And I commend you for doing that. You've had to kind of come in with a surgeon's scalpel and incisively sort of figure out what's going on, dissect everything. And so there have been some significant challenges for you, I think, in in researching. You mentioned kind of everything being behind that that paid firewall and then the discrepancy between the public statements and then the actual training materials. What else would you reference uh, as far as I, I know that the the CEO, Mandy Ariato has written books. Have you read the books? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I've read her books and uh, I have detailed reviews of those and comments up on my YouTube channel if people want to check those out. But it is interesting that the people that she quotes do seem to be in a more progressive stream. She quotes Rob Bell in her first book. She quotes people like Richard Rohr, um, a mystic named John Henry Newell, now, mm-hmm. she has backpedaled a little bit about, about quoting Newell. Um, there was some criticism about that, and she has kind of made some public statements about, you know, maybe that wasn't the best idea. But it does seem like when she does quote people, they are in a more progressive stream. And so that makes me think that although these quotes are brief, those are the sources that she's interacting with. Those are the things that are shaping her. 
Yeah, exactly. Those are the people she's learning from, she's reading right. and, and kind of swimming in that, in that pool. And it's, it's hard. One of the challenges though, is that like the mom con, for example, is a huge mops conference. It's mom conference. It's sort of like comic con, but for moms. Yes. Yes. And, but it's very hard to even find out like who they've platformed because they, they seem to scrub all of that from their website. They don't make those videos publicly available. They only post these short highlight videos. So you have to be behind the paid wall to see the presentations like Sarah Bessie that you were mentioning earlier. So I can't point to public videos. I've gotten the information that I have about MomCon from my sources mm-hmm. who have sent me these, these unlisted videos. But it's pretty um, consistent that they do platform people that are in a more progressive stream. And they are also platforming things like the Enneagram, which mm-hmm. is part of more in the progressive Richard Rohr stream of Christianity. Yeah. And I do have a, a blog post about the Enneagram on my website at theologymom.com if people want to know that. But one of my sources was talking about how they required all their leaders to take the Enneagram test um, before they could participate in the leader training. So Mm. um, they're definitely pushing that, which again, not to villainize things like through guilt by association, but I do think that there are some rather troubling aspects to the Enneagram, so. Yeah, I agree. I, I, in fact, one of my main concerns about the Enneagram is that most of the writers that are writing the books, at least from the Christian perspective, are all progressive Christians. Yeah. And so if, if nothing else, it, it's an on-ramp to progressive Christianity. And like you said, by having progressive Christian speakers at MomCon, like the this, this Sarah Bessie talk that we heard, you know, that's, that's an endorsement of that person. You know, if a mom goes to a mom con and she, again, you're at that isolated time of life, you may not know who all these people are, but you like the talk, then you're going to start reading their books and you're going to start following their blogs. And that can be a very dangerous, uh, very dangerous thing that even if mops wasn't completely off the rails, they should be vetting their speakers better because that, that can be a very deceptive way for someone to kind of find their way into progressive Christianity who may not have discovered it uh, otherwise. And so as we wrap up here, uh, you know, I'm always thinking, what's the practical thing people can take away if, if people are listening to this and they maybe they've had some concerns, but this podcast has helped them to articulate those concerns a little better. It's given them some really helpful information to take maybe back to their church leaders or to their MOPS leaders at their churches. Um, maybe you can help us with, you know, as you've sort of exposed this uh, a little bit or I, I maybe that's a strong word, as you've sort of lifted the lid off a little bit to, to let people see what's inside of the MOPS training and, and things like that. What is, what is the kind of most common responses you get from people when they hear your concerns? What's the pushback you get? What can people expect and be prepared for when they're trying to lift the lid off a little bit in their own churches? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it is an important question to ask because there are responses to this and there are things that patterns of what comes up in terms of responses. One of the most common ones I've heard is, well, what does this really hurt that they're doing this? They're, they're reaching, MOPS is reaching women who aren't churched. And it's sort of okay to water things down because, um, you know, this is just an introduction 
to Jesus. Hmm. I think that that is a very common response. Um, another one sort of similar is that, well, MOPS is not a Bible study. This is one of their mantras that they'll say. Mm-hmm. But my response to that is MOPS may not be a formal Bible study, but they do quote scripture from time to mm. time. They don't quote a lot of scripture, but when they do quote it, it seems to be positioned as just kind of a jumping off point. It, I mean, it often is out of context and not really dealt with uh, in a, a way that's faithful to what the text is really saying. But is it too much to ask, like, even if we're not diving deep into scripture, like at least to have the verses quoted and explained in a way that's faithful and accurate. Right. Like, like must we um, do it in a way that is just not in the best representation of what mm. scripture is saying? So if we're going to quote scripture, let's just make sure that we're doing it accurately and fairly and, and carefully. Mm. Um, so even if we're not diving deep, that's okay. But let's make sure that we're quoting things in context Mm. so that when we are reaching these women who are not churched many times, we're giving them an accurate picture of our faith. We don't want to. And so I think it does hurt. It Mm -hmm. does hurt people because mops claim that they had 10,000 conversions last year Mm. to, to Christianity. My big question that I asked in one of my videos is, what is the gospel that they think that they've converted to? And will those conversions stand? And what is it that these people are, these women are placing their faith and hope and trust in? So I think it does hurt. Even if we're reaching the unchurched, it doesn't mean we have to water down what Christianity is about. Maybe we, we, we titrate it a little bit. We, we give them a little at a time, but, but we're at least giving them what's accurate to, to our faith. There's also a strong, pushback on preserving unity, which you brought up earlier in the Mm. Sarah Bessie talk. Mm -hmm. That is a a big theme and a common rebuttal to these concerns is let's just preserve unity. And my rejoinder to that is a biblical definition of unity we can find in Ephesians chapter four. Our unity is founded in the knowledge of Christ, Mm. that that's what causes us to grow up into maturity. So if we're having any idea of unity that doesn't involve doctrinal maturity, which is the context of Ephesians 4, then Mm. it's not real unity. Our unity is based in ideas. It's based in a theological understanding of who God is, who we are, and what he's done for us, and what our response is to him. Mm. That is the, the basis of unity. Unity is not a feeling. It's not just looking the other way and people sin. It's not just a pretty word. It's founded and grounded in the truth and the knowledge of who Jesus is. Yeah, that's the, the, the final response that people might come up against is, um, we're the hands and feet of Jesus. This is another very common rebuttal that comes forward from MOPS headquarters or, or people who are trying to defend this position. And, and we're just supposed to love people. Uh, We're the hands and feet of Jesus. We just want to love people. Young moms are tired. They don't don't have time for an intellectual conversation. And I kind of disagree with that. In my interactions with young moms, they're so starved. (laughs) And sometimes they don't even know it. 
I was just going to say, it's the opposite. Engagement. (laughs) They do. They want to talk to another adult for a second. You know, like I remember that time feeling exactly that phrase you just said, intellectually starved. And they do need love. I I, I think that, that they're exactly right. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. Sometimes moms need a meal train. <laughs> they need babysitting mm-hmm. help. And, and these are all things that we ought mm-hmm. to do. But again, do we really need to water down our faith in order to provide those practical, tangible expressions of love? I don't think so. Right. And again, we want to al- allow God to define love. We don't want to impose our definition or our culture's definition of love. We want to let God define and lead the way into what love looks like. Gosh, I just so appreciate all of your research, your careful thinking, uh, your heart to be slow to criticize, uh, but yet also to defend truth and and talk about error where it is. And so uh, again, if you're listening and this is sort of new for you, or maybe you've had some red flags about the MOPS group at your church, uh, please utilize theologymom.com. Find some more of Krista's resources and not just on MOPS. She's got lots of great resources. She's uh, just an incredibly smart, engaging, articulate thinker and speaker. And Krista, it's just been a joy to have you on. And again, also, if you're listening, don't forget the WIA conference. You can live stream it if you can't be there in in person, January 24th and 25th at Biola. Krista, thank you so much for being on. And uh, I'd love to have you back to talk about some other fun things sometime soon. (laughs) That would be wonderful. And I want to encourage people to go get engaged with Women in Apologetics. Just go to womeninapologetics.com. You can get all the details about the conference how to register, how to get on the live stream. And it's not too late to join us in person. And we'd love to see you. If you hear me on the podcast, uh, come introduce yourself. I would love to meet you. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can sign up to receive my post by email by going to elisachilders.com and clicking the subscribe button or subscribe to the Elisa Childers podcast on iTunes. Save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.